Hey, let's open our Bibles, John chapter 10, shall we? <laughs> John chapter 10. <laughs> we are going to finish chapter 10 today, and... Uh, Last time we talked about uh, salvation, the eternal nature of salvation, that He's come to save us. And he's come to set us free forever. That's what He says there. He said, uh, I, I can't even read that. What does that say? I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and they will never, never perish. So the question we talked about last week, can you lose your salvation? It's a big question. A lot of people struggle with this. But I think rather than going by the way we feel and what we think and maybe even what we've experienced and seen, we need to base what we believe on what? On what the Scripture says and what the Bible says. And Jesus said that. He says, I give them eternal life. They shall what? Never perish. And no one will snatch them out of man. So, so, you know, this is something that Jesus has done. And, and can we lose our salvation? Well, you know, you have to back up a little bit and, and ask the question, did you find it or did he find you? Amen. And that's what I think the scripture shows us, that, that he found us. And so to lose this salvation would mean that, that he would have to lose us. And I don't think he can lose anything. He's given us who believe eternal life and will never perish. So we're safe. Uh, that scripture, I, I want to put it up again because it's so powerful. Uh, it says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Completely, and that word means to the uttermost, once and forever. Perfectly, utterly. Who is it for? Those who come to God through Jesus. He is able to save you completely, totally, forever. He's not, he doesn't just do you know, half the job. Yeah, he's still working on us. The scripture that, that Haley quoted, I love that's one of my favorites. You know, God, he, he began a good work in us. He's going to bring it to completion. There's a lot of stuff that he's still doing in my life. You know, many years after receiving him into my heart and life. But, but my, my salvation is secure. It's not going anywhere. It's not, it's not dependent on whether I have a good week or a bad week, a good day or a bad day, whether I've, you know, I've done this or done that. It's not based on that. What is it based on? Can anybody tell me? It's right there. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross. That's based on that. It always is, always has been, and always will be. Amen. So today, you know, we're, we're here. It's, uh, it's time to celebrate Christmas. And, you know, we, we celebrate the birth of Christmas. And the, but, but when I, you know, look at the Gospel of John, I think the big idea, some people use that phrase when they're talking about what's the, what's the, the major focus, what's the you know, the, the big point and the big idea, I think, for the Gospel of John is that Jesus is God. 
That's the big idea. That's the big thing. The big thing. It comes out from the, the very, very beginning. If you, if you turn back with me to John chapter 1, the very first chapter, and I, we're just going to read a few of those verses again because this is, again, it's the, the most important concept throughout the Gospel of John. It's most important for us. And when we think about Jesus coming to the earth, we need to understand, well, who is this Jesus that we're talking about? Where did he come from? What, what, is, he, what is he all about? Who is he? Look at chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, the word, through Jesus, all things were made. He's the agent of creation. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then if you jump down to verse 14, it explains who the word is, though we already know the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, or the only begotten Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word, he became flesh, and that's again what we're celebrating here now at this time of year. You know, I'm not going to get into all the concepts of, well, was it exactly December 25th, or was it, you know, another date or whatever. It doesn't really matter. We're celebrating this, right? This is the time where we think about it. We come to focus in on it. It doesn't matter. Some of those things don't really matter. But it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what Jesus did, the birth of our Lord. And it's repeated over and over again. Now, this concept, this idea, the big idea, it, it really had various reactions, didn't it? We've seen them already in the first you know, 10 chapters, different reactions to this concept, to this idea that Jesus is God. Some, some had like a violent reaction, like we, you know, we do not want to hear you say that at all. We're going to, as we're going to see in our passage today, we're going to kill you if you even try to say that. But then others, they humbled themselves and they trusted in him and they believed in him. Their response was faith and worship. Now back in John chapter 10, verse 30, where we left off last week, Jesus makes this statement. He says this in verse 30, he says, I and the Father, what? Are one. I and the Father are one. Now, maybe if you and I heard that statement, we go like, well, I'm not quite sure what that, you know, what is he talking about there? But those people that were standing in front, of, in front of him knew exactly what he was saying, and we know that how? By the response and the reaction that they show. It's a very, very clear statement. And, and, and now, some would say, you know, well, he's just saying that we're one in purpose. You know, we, we got the same plan here. Me and the Father, we have the same plan. We, we, we're one in, in, in that. But that's not what the people around him heard. They heard him saying much, something much stronger. And, and what, what it really is is that they, he was saying that we are one in essence. We are one in nature. The Father is God. The Son is God. 
But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. We get into what we call the Trinity here, don't we? We, we have to talk about it. Can we completely and totally understand it? No, we, there are many things we don't totally understand, but I think if, if you honestly look at the Scripture, you'll see this is what the Bible teaches. And it's been, you know, argued, and, and uh, there have been debates about uh, this kind of thing uh, from the very beginning of the church. But I think, I think it's, it's been made very clear that we have one God, but He manifests or shows himself in three persons. Somebody made a little diagram, which uh, I'll, I'll put up here, and it, it's a little bit helpful. Again, it, it's something that you know, man can put together. But let me point to you first in Deuteronomy, it says this, and this is what the, the Jews call the Shema, and, and they, they, would, they would profess this in and, and, and many different situations. They would quote this verse. They would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So from the beginning, the, 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 the scriptures, Old and New Testament, that there's one God, the, God, the Lord, He is one. But, but then we see that, that we have, the New Testament makes clear to us the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, of course, the Old Testament has prophecies and different teachings which show us about the Son and the Spirit as well. But they are revealed in the New Testament and made very clear for us. But, but see, see what he says here. He says, God, he is the Father. God is the Son. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And you can find scriptures that make this very clear. Uh, all of those statements are true. But, but what's also true is here, the Father is not the Son. The, the Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. And, and they have distinct personalities. They're distinct persons within what we call the Godhead. Now, again, this is what the Bible teaches. So when Jesus came to say that, when he said those words to them, they kind of freaked out. He said, I and the Father are one. They, they kind of got really, really upset. I want to I quote to you before I move on from there, though, uh, a, a few verses uh, in Philippians and Colossians. It says in Philippians Chapter 2, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, speaking about Jesus. Now, this is Paul the Apostle. He says, who being in very nature God. He was in nature God. Jesus was God by his nature, as I've been saying. One in essence, one in nature. It says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't need to hold on to it because it was already his but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And he, and, he, and he was made in human likeness and that he died upon a cross. Then in, in Colossians, it says this in chapter uh, 2 of Colossians, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's very clear, isn't it? In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus was fully God. He was also fully man. He was called, you, you read about it, and as you read the Gospels, you see he was called the Son of Man. He was also called the Son of God. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Again, when he made this statement, 
they got very, very upset with him. And the, and the scene would have been something like this. Very, very upset. It's hard to see. It's very bright back here. But, but they got very, very upset. Look what it says in verse 31, John chapter 10. Again, this has been happening over and over. Again, it says the Jews picked up stones to stone him. They picked up stones to stone him, and, and these weren't little pebbles, right? These were stones, and, and the point of throwing stones was to kill the person. It wasn't just to, you know, uh, hurt them. It was to, to do away with them, and, and they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were, you know, doing the right thing in, in, in terms of the faith, the, the Jewish faith. In Levitic, Leviticus chapter 24, it says, Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. So they thought they were doing the right thing. Makes me think, too, of Paul the Apostle before he had an encounter with Jesus Christ and his life was completely turned around. He thought he was doing the right thing, persecuting and having Christians put to death. He was there, as you know the story in, in the book of Acts, he was there when... Stephen was killed. They stoned him, and he died. He was there giving you know, his approval to it. These Jews thought they were doing the right thing. Many times people who persecute think they're doing the right thing, but are they? Look at verse 32. Jesus answers them. They, they're picking up the stones. They're in the very act of it. But Jesus said to them, verse 32, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For, for which of these do you stone me? Now, the, the word literally says uh, many good works. So it's not just the miracles that he did. Really, it was all that he did. His miracles, uh, his teaching, the way he lived his very life. All of the things that make up this person that we call Jesus Christ. So, so he's saying, which part of my life, which part of what I've done, which part of what I said are you killing me for? For which of these do you stone me? You know, I, I, you have to ask the question, why do people reject Jesus? When you think about it, you know, he, he only came to do good. Did he come to hurt anybody? He only came to do good. He only came to heal and to, to teach people the way to live, to be a light of the world. He came, obviously, uh, the, the main thing that he came to do was to give his very life, to die for the sake of the sins of the whole world. He only came to do good. So for which of all these things are you angry at Jesus for? You say that to the people of the, around him. Say, I don't want to have nothing to do with that Jesus stuff that you're talking about. You are, you're like a, you're a weird Jesus freak person. Don't talk to me about it. Don't, you know, put the cross up on the hill. Don't, don't you know, talk about that guy Jesus. We don't, you know, we got to take that, you know, out of our society completely. Don't ever, you know, wh what is that all about? Jesus... People don't like him. In chapter 3, we read, this is the verdict. It says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light 
and will not come into the light for the, for the fear that his, that his deeds will be exposed. The main thing that, that keeps us from coming to Jesus, we don't want that light to be shined. We kind of like what we're doing, even though it's completely empty, even though it's, it's wicked and horrible, and, and the fruit of it is very bad, very bad fruit that comes out of it. But, but we don't want a light shined on it. It's only to, when we get to the place where we're willing to say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need the light shined on me. Please, please shine your light on me and, and forgive me and, and, and cleanse me and save me and give me a, a whole new life because I don't have it. It's only when we get to that place that things begin to change. I don't know about you, but it, that's when my life began to change too. Look at verse 33. The Jews... Responding to Jesus, he says, We are not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, as I said, these, these Jews that were in front of him, they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying, and, but, but they refused to believe or, or even entertain the possibility, the idea at all. Now, not all of them did. As, as I said, some said, wow. And they examined the evidence, and they, they looked at it honestly, and, and they made a decision. Well, well, you know, if he is who he says he is, why don't I give him a chance in my life? If he is, says he's the Son of God, if he's God the Son, why don't I? Let him have a chance. What does it say? He says, we believe that you're committing blasphemy because you are a mere man and you claim to be God. Again, the big idea here, is Jesus just a mere man? Is that all he is? He just came, he, he was born there in Bethlehem. We celebrate it. He, you know, it was awesome. He's a, he was cute and everything, and all babies are cute. And, and we, we go on and, you know, we give presents and we all this stuff. And he, and he was a great teacher. He taught some incredible stuff, right? The golden rule. You know, you know, we didn't just, you know, people didn't make that up. Jesus made it up. Jesus taught all kinds of good stuff. And, and, and you know, and, and he did a lot of good stuff, but he was just a man. He was just a person. He was just a simple, a, a, a simple human being. That's all he was. But I, I have to ask the question, is that all he was? Is that all he is, just a mere man? You have to grapple with it. They didn't want to grapple with it. They didn't want to think about it because, again, I think in the end, they didn't want the light shown upon themselves. Did he claim to be God? Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. He said, I and the Father are one. Verse 34 and 35, really into verse 36, kind of an interesting passage. I think it's taken, uh, gotten twisted in, in by certain uh, cults and groups and some of the uh, New Age kinds of uh, religions. But look what it says there. It said, Jesus answered them, 
He said, you a mere, they said, you a mere man claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? And if he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Now, He's quoting uh, Psalm 82, and there's a passage there. And, and this verse, Psalm 82, verse 6, is spoken to the judges of Israel, the, these leader judges in Israel. And the word that's used back there in Psalm 82 is the word Elohim, which in other places the word is translated judges. But it can also mean mighty ones. But, but either way, it's a, it's a term of kind of exalting a little bit. You know, like they, you know, they were called something like that. But, but really what Jesus is doing here, and I had to really think about this for a while and, and read uh, about it. You know, really what Jesus is doing is arguing from the lesser to the greater. The lesser to the greater. In, in other words, God's with a little g as opposed to God with a big G. Someone wrote it like this. Maybe it'll help to understand it a little bit. He said, Jesus replied that in one Old Testament passage, even Israel's rulers were called gods, little g, because of the God-given authority they exercised. How much more should the one who was one with the Heavenly Father call himself God? The rest of the passage in Psalm 82 goes on to say, the rest of that verse goes on to say that, that they were the children of the Most High. They weren't God. They were children of the Most High. Again, uh, Jesus, you know, he's, he's arguing with these, with these uh, Jewish people, these Jewish leaders and rulers, and they knew what the Scripture said. And, and he, you know, he, he argued, again, from the lesser to the greater. But, but what, what I was saying earlier about people who twist this up, they, they say, well, that, that we are going to become God. And, and we are going to uh, go through different kinds of steps and stages until we become God. And we are, we are going to be one with God, and we are going to be God. Jehovah's Witnesses have twisted this all, all around. The Mormons have taken this uh, all out of context. As I said, the Eastern religions uh, take this completely out of context, and, and they go into this whole kind of uh, thing that we are going to become. We're, we're going to have this God consciousness, and then we are going to become God. And we are all God. And, and this building is God, and the trees are God, and the whole universe is God, and so we're becoming one with God. You see, I don't know if you've heard any of this before, but it, it's fairly common. But there is only one God. And you and I are not going to become God. Now, God may use us as he used those judges. It says that he, he spoke through them. He gave them authority, but, but, but it wasn't on the same level at all, you see. That's why he said in verse 36, what about the one 
the one, notice, whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world. That's the one you should be listening to. That's the one who was sent from the Father. That's the one that the Father set apart as his very own. That's the one that you and I have to deal with it, who they were not willing to deal with. We can talk about all kinds of weird and strange concepts, but the, the bottom line is, what will you do with this man called Jesus, who claimed to be God? What are you going to do with him? Verse 37, he goes on, he says, Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know, or the good works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you know, even though you don't believe me, look at, look at the big picture. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at what I've said. Look at what the scripture prophesies. Try to, try to look at it honestly. Be willing to examine the truth. There have been uh, many men and women throughout history who were staunch atheists, and once they stopped to examine the truth about Jesus Christ, the facts of what we know to be the facts of who Jesus Christ is, their lives were turned around. And when they honestly took a, a, a look at that, their lives were transformed. People like C.S. Lewis. Warren Wiersbe said, examine the evidence honestly and be willing to accept the truth as you find it. Were they in that camp? No. Look at verse 39. Again, they tried to seize him. They tried to stone him and they tried to grab him. But could they do anything? You know, this, this kind of proves what he's saying. Listen, I and the Father are one and, and, and that, that he is God and, and they have no control over him. They wanted to grab him, but, but could they? They tried to grab him. He just walked away. He escaped their grasp. It happened again. They tried to do it before. It's happened before, and he just gets away, just walks away. They can't hold on to him. Why? Because he's God. Now, the, the other reason why is that, that it wasn't his time, right? In the Gospel of John, he says it you know, numerous times. He says, my time has not yet come, or it says his time has not yet come. His time for what? What was he looking forward to? The cross. He said his time wasn't yet. His time had not yet come. Later, John chapter 12, we get to that place where Jesus says the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. He's talking about his death, isn't he? So, so in this chapter, chapter 10, he, he knew it wasn't his time. He just walked away. But later in the gospel, when we, when we see his time has come, he willingly offers himself as a sacrifice. Didn't he say it? He, you know, he, he, he could have called legions of angels to, to take him, to rescue him, to pull him away. 
but he knew that it had to be done. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if, if there's any other way, if there's any other possible way for this to be accomplished, for this to take place, God said, no, there isn't any other way. Jesus said, but not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross. The last verses here in chapter 10, verse 40 through 42. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And here he stayed. And many people came to him and they said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Many came and many believed. In the, in the Gospel of John here, Jesus does not return to Jerusalem again until Palm Sunday. Until that day where he comes in and, and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, that, and then that last week of, of the suffering and the trials and the crucifixion. But it's interesting, isn't it? He goes out to this place. He goes out to the, the other side of the Jordan where John had been baptized. It's kind of like he goes back to where it began. He goes back to the beginning, this place, and, and, and he just stays out there for a while. And some believe it was a few months. But isn't, isn't it interesting to note that he, he talks about John the Baptist here. John quotes here, and, and, and the people said this. Jesus came out there, and he stayed for a, a while, and, and many people came to him. But they said, the people who came to Jesus, they said, John never performed a miraculous sign, and, but, but everything that he said was true. Isn't that kind of interesting? John never did any miracles. But what he did do was he talked about Jesus. That's all he did. Sometimes I think you and I need to be, you know, we think we need to be like super saints and we need to be, you know, having miracles happen all around us but to, to have any kind of witness at all. But really all it is is just being faithful and true and speaking the truth about Jesus. That's all it is. John the Baptist, Jesus said there wasn't any other guy like him. And that was his example. He was a faithful witness, Warren Wearsby said, who pointed to Christ. And I think you and I can be that faithful witness too. Many came to Jesus. Many believed in him. They, it, you know, they got away from the crowds. They got away from the religious back in Jerusalem. They got away from even all the religious leaders. They got out to this place away from outside the city outside the camp and they spent time with Jesus and they, it says they believed in him. Many, not all, but many believed in him. This is the man, this is the person that we're talking about Christmas time. He came to Bethlehem. It was prophesied that he came. He came and, and, he, and he came to the earth as, as I read out of Philippians. He, he left heaven and, and 
He didn't grasp onto what he had, and he came to earth, and he became a man. And people came, and they gathered around him, and they put their trust in him. Is it important that Jesus is God? I think so. Why would you put your faith and trust in just a mere man? Not worth it. We see it happening all, all the time in our world. People put, putting their faith and their trust in people. We have our, you know, stars. And we flock after them. We have our, our, our sports heroes. But they're all just fallible human beings. But Jesus is the Son of God. He's God the Son. And there's no one like Him. The truth of the matter is that unless he is God, what he did on the cross is useless. But because he is God, the, the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, he died. He was able to die for the sins of the whole world. Otherwise, he would have had to die for himself. Does it matter? Yeah, it matters a lot. Let's pray together, shall we? Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you and we humble ourselves and our hearts before you. And yeah, we think about the little baby you were in Bethlehem, but, but you are God. That's why it says, Emmanuel, God with us. And we humble ourselves. And, and it goes on to say uh, in Philippians that every knee would bow every tongue, confess that you are the God, the Christ, the Holy One, the one that, that we would all humble ourselves before because of all that you did for us. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Lord, we... We proclaim you, and, and we're, we're, just, uh, we're just simple people, but, but we, uh, many here in this room, uh, have had an encounter with you, Jesus, and we just want to be faithful witnesses like John was and, and just let people know that, that there's a reason for this season, if we want to use that phrase, that it's that's you, it's Jesus, it's who you are and what you came to do. Lord, maybe there's someone in this room this morning never, never thought about who Jesus is, who you sent your son to be the savior of the world. And, and maybe there's someone in this room or someone listening who would be willing to give Jesus a place in your heart and life. If that's you today, you can simply pray. I want to give you an opportunity right now to say, Jesus. If you really are who you say you are, who this guy says you are, I want to give you a chance in my life. I am lost. I do need help. So come in and save me. Rescue me. Forgive me today in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, shall we?